0: Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. And um, these are some folks who maybe needed a sign as well. And boy, did they get one. This is Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. It should be found on page 106 in your pew Bibles. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would give us ears this morning that will hear your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us minds that are ready to think the things that you have for us to think. We pray that um, you would give us hearts that are tuned to you, Lord, that as we hear your word read and proclaimed this morning, by your word and by your spirit, you would continue the work that you have begun in us, changing us into the people that you made us to be, in relationship with you through Jesus, in his name that we pray, amen. So Exodus 14, just so you know what's going on, this is when... um, The Israelites were actually slaves in Egypt, and God had sent Moses to bring them out of slavery, and there were all sorts of plagues, and finally Pharaoh said, enough, go ahead and go. And they get outside of Egypt, and then he changes his mind. That's where this story is. And so chapter 14 says, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So, he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahiroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached... The Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out? You brought us to the desert to die. What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people. Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now that's where we're going to stop on that one. So you'll have to read on further uh, to find out whether or not God can be trusted. I'll just go ahead and give you the spoiler. Yes, he can be trusted. Turning then to Matthew 6. We see in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, on page 1509 in your pew Bibles, Jesus also talking about the track record of God who can be trusted and what that means for us as those who are so prone to worry. he says in verse, starting in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as you might expect, what we are talking about today has to do with trusting God in, uh, and not worrying. Actually, having the worries of this life replaced with the peace of God. That is a whole, (laughs) that is a whole huge topic just in and of itself, which we will touch on today in, um, in Philippians chapter four, where Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. He is writing from prison in Rome, where he is in prison for telling people about Jesus. They have sent him gifts. I'll talk about that some minute, look at next week. And he is sending back the messenger who brought the gifts with this letter, this letter to this church in Philippi. And these are people that he knows. There are some letters, like when he originally wrote to the Romans, he'd never been there before. And so he's writing, and he knows some of these people, but he's never been there. He doesn't know a lot of them. Philippi, he knows these people. He's been with these people. He spent time with these people. And so as we look at uh, and how he begins this last section. This is chapter 4, and he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So here we have his description of these people and what, what he feels for them just layered on. I mean, he isn't, these are not strangers to him. But he says, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So he is uh, pleading with these people as uh, people that he cares deeply for and about. So I want you to make sure you have that in mind as we go through what it is that he's saying to do. Because the other thing that he's saying to do that you just saw in that verse is to stand firm. Now, what do you normally think of when it comes to standing firm? It's kind of this strengthening of the will, isn't it? Like, setting my faith, this is what I'm going to do, and nobody is going to deter me. And so it's sort of this, all right, I'm ready for the fight. (laughs) And that's kind of what Paul is talking about. To be strengthen this way to kind of be ready for this fight and yet it's a very different fight than what we typically imagine and so it's the kind of thing where we sort of think all right what paul is saying is make sure you stay true to jesus and if anybody is going to try to take you away from him you got to punch him in the nose that's the deal (laughs) that's how you stand firm that's not what he's saying and that's why we read the passage from exodus where we see the people of Israel actually winning a battle against the people of Egypt, and yet it was not the battle they expected. What we see is the instructions, stand firm, be still. Just look to God. You will see what he's going to do, and it is going to not be your way of doing things. And that is what Paul is saying here. What he's been saying through this entire letter is look to Jesus. I'm in prison, and yet I can rejoice. Why? Because I'm looking to Jesus. And you are going through hardships where you are, and yet you can have joy. How? By looking to Jesus. And so now he's saying the same thing. Stand firm in the Lord. The same thing he keeps saying through this letter is rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in your own accomplishments, and don't stand firm in your own strength. Rejoice in Jesus and who he is and what he's done and stand firm in him. And so this is a standing firm uh, in what he's been saying so far. It's a standing firm in the way of Jesus. Standing firm in keeping our eyes on Jesus. And so when all the situations of this life come, what is going to happen? You'll still be able to rejoice and you'll still be able um, to get along with each other. Just so very different than what comes naturally. And that's where he goes next. He says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul loves the Philippian church. He loves them. But he has heard that they're not getting along. That there are at least these two people who have a difference of views, have a difference of opinion, and it seems to be tearing them apart and maybe the whole church apart. And he feels it. And he says, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not what the church is supposed to be like, and this is not what I want for you because I love you. And so his answer to this, though, his answer is not to take the side of one of these women or the other and saying, look, everybody, she's got it right, she's got it wrong. (laughs) Let's let's go that way. He doesn't say, all right, everybody, gather together, take a vote on whose side is right, and the other person get out of here. That's not what's going on at all. Instead, he says, "You two, you two who have worked at my side in the cause of the gospel, you who understand the message of Jesus, think about the message of Jesus, and let that influence how you actually treat each other." And so, what we've seen through the uh, the whole letter of Philippians to this point is Paul saying, "Jesus is the one who gave up his rights for the good of others." We saw that, uh, especially in chapter 2. And then we see how this plays out in Paul's life and in the lives of others. And now he's saying, all right, you two who are not getting along, think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. Have the same mind as Christ, as he said, the same mindset as Christ, as he said um, in chapter 2, verse 5. In your relationships with, with one another, have the same mindset as, Jesus, as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, he's exalted. And this is the way of Jesus. And he says, this is the mindset that you are to have in your relationships with one another. And now he's going to call out specific individuals who are having this issue in the church. Now, if I were going to call out specific individuals in the church in the next 10 seconds, does that make you nervous? (laughs) Is there somebody in this body of believers that you are not getting along with? Is there somebody that you are not getting along with and you need to have the mindset of Jesus Christ. Where there is some right that you have, just even the right to be right, that maybe you can give up for the good of the other person, for the good of that relationship, for the good of the whole church. This is what Paul is saying to these two women. Have the same mindset as Jesus. And then um, be the same mind in the Lord. And then he asks you know, his true companion, whoever this is, to help them. This doesn't come easily. This doesn't come naturally. They're going to need help. That's one of the reasons we do this kind of thing together. We help each other to follow Jesus. We help each other to keep our eyes on Jesus. And then this is where he gets to um, what comes from this way of life. And this is where we replace the worry, the anxiety, all the... <laughs> That, that junk of life, with, with peace, peace of God. And I want to say, before I get into this, he gives us two different things uh, to do here, several, two different sections. And on that, I need to point out that there are anxiety disorders that require medication. And I'm not saying if your doctor has prescribed medication, quit taking it and just do this. I'm not saying that at all. (laughs) I do think there are two kinds of people. Those who should hear this and apply this in their lives and don't need medication. And those who need to hear this and apply this in their lives and do need medication. I don't know which one you are. (laughs) You'll have to work that one out with your doctor. But this is for everybody, regardless of that. That being said... I also know a woman who went to the doctor because she had a, um, her spine was becoming increasingly bent to the side. And she was getting more and more crooked. And so she goes to the doctor and the doctor says, All right, I see what the problem is. Here is a pill that you can take. And she says, Wait a second. How is this pill going to fix my back? And the doctor said, Well, it won't. But if you take this pill, it won't hurt anymore and then you won't care that it's bent. <laughs> And she said, wait, 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 isn't there physical therapy that I could do that would actually, you know, is there some procedure? And she said, well, yeah, there's physical therapy. You could do that. It would actually fix your back. But most people don't want to do that. They just want a pill. So what I'm prescribing (laughs) is the physical therapy. It's harder, but it's better. And, And it also is the kind of thing... Or maybe if people did this first, there wouldn't be as many people who needed to take the pill. Anyway, so here, here's what it is. So Paul says these people, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This is not his first time to repeat this. He has repeated this throughout the letter. Rejoice in the Lord. Okay, it's who Jesus is, what he has done. That's where we Rejoice. And he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do you know what this gentleness means that he's talking about? It actually is, we talked about in chapter 2, of the giving up your rights for the good of others. When you're doing that, that is what he means by gentleness. He says, let that be what's evident about your life, that you are the kind of person who will do that for the good of others. And do this because the Lord is near. He is the one who is leading you. He is the one who is helping you as you go about this. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything. Think really about anything? There's got to be some things we get to worry about, right? I mean, think about it. There's so much. Don't even go there. <laughs> That's his point. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So, what are the situations where you do this? All the situations. So, do we rejoice in the good times? Yes, we do. Do we rejoice in the bad times? Yes, we do. Because, as he's been saying through this entire letter, our joy is not dependent on our circumstances, our joy is dependent on the Lord. Don't forget, this is not some happy letter that Paul is writing from a comfortable resort. This is not the postcard that he sends back and says, wish you were here. Everything's great. He's writing this from a Roman prison where things are not great. And he's able to rejoice in terrible circumstances because he's rejoicing not in the circumstances, rejoicing in the Lord in the midst of all the circumstances. And so he's been saying, you know, whatever happens, whatever is going on in your life and in your world, and now he's able to say, do not anxious about anything, but in every situation, how do we rejoice? Well, by in every situation, we remember who God is. We remember the birds. We remember the flowers. We remember the people standing on the edge of the sea that God led them to, and then they get trapped by the Egyptians, and they see no way out. The eyes that they have to look at their situation shows them nothing but danger at every side. And all their imaginings that they can come up with is just one bad situation after another. There is no good out for them. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. And all they have before them is despair, and it doesn't matter what they do. And God says, stay here and trust me. And what we hear from them is worry and being anxious. And can you blame them? Everything, everywhere they have to look, everything they have to see shows trouble at every side. Maybe you can relate. Whether you're there right now or whether you've been there in the past, you've had moments like this. I don't see any good outcome here. God says, don't look at that stuff. Look to me. Remember who I am. There's nothing bigger than me. There's no situation that you are facing that I can't handle and there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. So remember who God is, that he is near, and that he does love you and care for you. And remember also that there are worse things than death. And a lot of times we take a look at you know Jesus saying, look at the birds of the air, look at the flowers of the field, And we apply that in a way that says, therefore God will always take care of me and I will never die. I will never get sick. Nothing bad will ever happen to me. And That is not what Jesus is saying. And we know this is not what he's saying because if you look at the rest of Jesus' life, this is not how it goes for him. You look at the disciples that he called to him who followed him closely, it's not what goes on for them either. There are bad things that happen to them. There are bad things in this world and they do affect even Christians. So being a Christian is not a way to not have the bad things of the world happen to you. But being a Christian is a way to be able to rejoice even in the midst of that and to be able to have a peace even in the midst of that that replaces the anxieties and the worries and the fears because we understand that the worst thing, the worst thing can't happen to us. The separation from the God of the universe who loves us can't happen. if We are in Jesus. And that is a reason to rejoice whatever the outside circumstances are. And so Paul says, whatever you're facing, give it to God. Pray to him. Thank him for what he's already done. Pray for the situation you're in. And then move forward trusting him. And he says, what will happen? Verse 7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. And so you will be in the midst, and maybe you've had this experience already, maybe you've known people who have, in the midst of a really bad situation. A really bad situation. And yet there's a peace there, and everybody says, I don't get it, that doesn't make sense. You go, I know. I don't really get it either. (laughs) But that's where I am. Verse 8. Here's the other prescription. One, we saw in verse 4, was rejoice. Two was in verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. Three, let's pray about everything. That's in verse 6. We have two more. Verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let me ask you, when you are worried, when you are anxious about things that may be coming, are the things that you tend to think about, do they fit in that, in those categories? They don't, do they? And he says, well, then don't think about that stuff. Think about the things that fit in this category. Think about Jesus, who fits in all these categories. Think about, and and I'm not going to go through all of those in detail, but as a study I would recommend to you. It says think about whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Think about those things. We have people in this country who make their living by making sure that you don't think about these things. It is in their financial best interest to keep you thinking about things that will keep you worried, about things that will make you afraid, about things that will give you anxiety. And Paul says, stop listening to them. Think about these things. Think about these things. And then he says, don't just think about this stuff. But the final prescription, verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This ought to remind you of the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you know, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. right? He says, whoever hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. And so he says, everybody's hearing the words. The question is, are you putting them into practice or not? And Paul says, you have seen me putting these things into practice. You have heard me teaching you these things. So, they learned it, received it, heard it from me, seen it in me, whatever. Do it. (laughs) Live this way. Put this into practice in your own life, in the way that works in your house and in your workplace and in your relationships with the people that you know and interact with on a daily basis. Do these things for real. It's one thing to put these on on a fun little picture and hang it on the wall, or it's nice to have it as a uh, screensaver on your computer, it's nice to have it um, embroidered on a pillow. It's a very different thing to live these things. And to live these things, not just when life is as pretty as the picture on the wall, but when you're in the depths of a Roman prison. To still be able to do these things. To think these things. To have the same mindset as Jesus. Paul did say earlier on in chapter 3, I believe, Um. Yeah. Verse twelve. Not that I've already obtained all this or already arrived at my goal. He gets it. He's not there yet. I don't want anybody to leave here today and just beat yourself up. He, you know, guilt on him because I'm like, oh, I'm not there. And you know, Paul had it made. I don't have it. That is not what he's saying. He's not saying be like me. I've got it all right. But he started this section, remember, by saying, my brothers and sisters, it's like, I'm one of you. We're in this together. And he says, uh, you whom I love and whom I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. So as we talk to the beginning, um, Paul does love these people. But he's calling them to stand firm in the Lord and in, in this way. And then he gives us this prescription of how to do this, of how to stand firm in the Lord. And then he says, now no, do it. <laughs> this is what standing firm looks like. Standing firm is not ready to punch somebody in the nose if they try to get you off track. But standing firm is keeping our focus in the right place when all the distractions come. Standing firm means... Putting into practice this giving up our rights for the good of others. Working towards reconciliation in our relationships because that's what Jesus has done for us. And helping each other to do the same. All as a part of the body of Christ and the family of God, who with Him as our Father call each other brothers and sisters. Those that we are called to love, to help, to have the mind of Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.